The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Joining us this morning are uh, Tim Hudak, the former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, international trade lawyer Mark Warner. Morning. morning. Two big stars here to uh, to deal with. And can I start with one of those stories that just does aggravate you? It aggravates you when you're in the government. It aggravates you when you're out of the government. And it's how you could possibly get to the case. And, and both of you know how many signatures are required to get anything approved and how they can get through, including the manufacturing of the signs that are bicycle directional signs that have spelling mistakes in them, like obvious spelling mistakes. Trail is meant to say trail, but it says trial. Downtown is meant to say downtown, but it says downtown. How does this happen? Why does this go on? Because I think it really irritates people and there seems to be no solution to it. Maybe it's just human error that causes a lot of things. Tim? Yeah, well, look, I, I thought they were actually trying to be ironic, John, to talk about Lakeshore <laughs> Trial, for, for example, yeah. as opposed to, to trail getting around anywhere downtown. Um, look, I, I'm going to sound like uh, uh, what I am, a, a, a middle-aged uh, guy. I, I, I find, John, that there is a lot, uh, there's an increasing lack of understanding of basic spelling and grammar. I certainly see that, uh, not to condemn all young graduates, but, you know, new hires, particularly when they get documents from them, you know, filled initially when they get through school with spelling mistakes. I'm going to guess the bottom line here is the lack of autocorrect on the sign-making machine. We've become so reliant on that that (laughs) instead of looking at the details. You're probably right about that. I hadn't even thought about that. Then why wouldn't that have corrected it even if no human beings did? But, Mark, you know, you and I both know, and Tim knows, that there are, maybe it's an exaggeration to say 12, but let's say there's four people that had to sign off on these signs with diagrams, you know, pick illustrations of them. And then there's the people at the sign making place. Nobody spotted these two fairly obvious uh, typos. And again, it's not the biggest deal ever. It's not going to cost that much money to fix it. Uh, but why does this go on? Do we know who had the sign contract? Because it would be kind of interesting if it turned yeah. out to be another rather famous sign guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Problem. I hadn't even thought of that angle. Oh, God. I'm not sure I'd get into that um, if it was true. <laughs> no. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I agree with everything that Tim said. I'll tell you my angle, John, a little bit diff- slightly different angle, having lived outside of Canada for a long time and then come back. I uh, I find that the signage in Toronto is abysmal. Like, I, I tried recently. Someone, I was invited to a conference at the new CIBC thing, which I think is what we're calling um, in the Southern Core, the yeah. South Core. Yeah, across, like across Bay Street from Union Station. Yeah, and they said, you know, it was just a few steps from Union Station, which turned out to be a marathon to get there. And we're trying to follow the signs through Union Station to figure out how to get there. There were no signs. I mean, I find generally, I mean, I kind of look in Toronto as a still recovering expat. And I, I'm just always amazed if you don't, if you're not in Toronto, they don't put a lot of energy into signs. I look at the path signs that I remember from my youth when I lived outside of Toronto and I'd come into the city for the weekends and whatever, and I seem to be able to navigate the path. I swear it's just not my eyes that have declined, eyesight that's declining, but the path signs seem to be about half the size, the writing on them, than they used to be. It's like we don't actually want people but, but to know where a, they're they've going. Done a deal, Mark. You're so right about that. They've done a deal. Because the thing is, the signs are much better in terms of pointing you where you want to go. But I think they did make them smaller so they could cram more information into the same space. Because I noticed the same thing. Maybe it's just age. But the signs are better in terms of saying, if you want to go to the TD Center or go here or go there, it points you the right way. But the signs are so small that you almost could miss them. Well, yeah. look, uh, we, I guess we just have to do better on, on that kind of stuff. But it just is, I think it 
aggravates people more than the big issues uh, do. Uh, now, speaking of things that are not big issues but keep coming up, and they're they're good discussable topics on uh, these roundtables. Um, there's now a story out about people being up in arms, the way it's described, uh, about aggressive running clubs taking over Toronto streets. Now, I think there may be a touch of exaggeration there, but uh, Sabrina and Angie did say earlier this morning, Mark, that you know she'd had experience as a pedestrian where the one of these running clubs, and these are groups of say 20 people, sometimes 40 or 50, I see them all the time, that are you know running around the city, usually in the evening after work uh, or on the weekends, and that she'd had occasions where an elbow was up accidentally uh, or where somebody swore when a normal pedestrian was actually having the audacity to walk on the sidewalk. Is this something you've experienced and do you think it is a problem? Uh, I, I, I don't think I have. I think I, I did briefly a couple of years ago in uh, you know somewhere around King Street West area saw people running. I didn't I didn't think I didn't know of this phenomenon of aggressive running clubs. And now that I after reading this story, I thought, hmm, I guess that's what it was when I saw all these people after work running up uh, whatever that street was. And I thought, hmm, that's odd. Um, but uh, no, I actually thought it was interesting. I did find I, I'm not a TikToker, John. I don't know whether you are. No, 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 no I, social I media for me. <laughs> I did find it funny when I watched the videos that were attached to the story and, and the, 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 of the young ladies who were complaining. And it, it seemed like a bit of a marketing thing. <laughs> they all seemed to be very doll, dolled up to talk about running, running clubs. It's like yesterday. <laughs> that's yesterday we were talking about people filming their own workouts. And you say it's a bit of a marketing thing. And I'm thinking, why would anybody want to film their own workout in a gym? And then, of course, uh, we got talking about it. And they said, well, they're trying to promote themselves as a fitness coach or, you know, whatever. And the issue there, of course, was people in the background, you know, who were caught up in these videos. But I'm thinking, why would anyone? And I think the simple solution is not a government relation, but just telling gyms they should advertise themselves as places where you cannot bring a camera, period, full stop. Thank you very much. Anyway, you could be right about that. Tim, is this something that you've experienced, these running clubs? I've certainly seen them, but they've never bothered me. Yeah, I, I, I see them. Um, if anything, John, they make me feel a little guilty uh, yeah. for not getting <laughs> That's the negative feeling I have. No, the ones I see look like people just out getting some, some exercise. Maybe they could pull us along and force the rest of us to do so. I guess I'd be more worried about aggressive martial arts clubs, for example. That could yeah, be a exactly. real issue. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had to pinpoint something here. To me, it's it's the it's the cyclists who go on sidewalks, who stay off the road, and and that's the more aggressive, especially electronic bikes. If there's anything they put a red circle around, it's that group. Otherwise, let them run and have a good time and get some exercise. No, I'm with you, and, I, and I'm with you by the way on the whole electric bike thing. We talked about it yesterday in a different context about uh, taking these things on the subway, which I also think is just you can't do that because where does it stop? But uh, I mentioned yesterday in the same discussion what you just said, which is they're silent, which is a good thing. Uh, uh, but uh, they can come along at a very high rate of speed, and sometimes on the sidewalk, even in bike lanes, you don't necessarily hear them coming. It's your job to look. But uh, having said that, that's probably a more important issue than uh, aggr so-called aggressive running clubs. So on this list of issues, and I mentioned earlier, uh, Tim and Mark, that Premier Davis used to say, well, better they're discussing this stuff than the real issues, like unemployment. And you'd say that if you're in government. But here we are again having another discussion, because they go on and on uh, about, uh, this is a Liberal MP from New Brunswick who says that the politicians oath of allegiance to King Charles uh, should be done away with. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because he doesn't like Charles as king or whether he just thinks the whole monarchy is anachronistic, but that's what he's saying. Uh, and um, I, it's interesting that it comes in this case from a government MP, uh, Tim, because that normally is not the case with things like this that cause the prime minister to have to say, let's not talk about this right now. 
Yeah, look, I mean, from your perspective, John, they're, they're serving provincially and, and mine as well. Private members' bills will come up. They're a way for people to bring uh, issues that motivate them to the table. We'll see if it passes vote in the House. I, I, I suspect it, it, it won't. But, you know, when um, I've seen these things, too. I remember when uh, Dominic Agassino was a, um, a provincial member from the Hamilton area, brought forward a similar motion uh, back in, um, in the mid-1990s, as a matter of fact. These things pop up from time to time. I, I would vote against them if I were there today. I'd vote against that. I, you know, I do. I do respect the monarchy, no matter who's there at the crown, for its tradition, for the strength of that institution, the this, this soothing balm it can have in in times of major crisis. But more importantly, look, I, I'm a traditionalist. I think that we have a strong system here. Is it perfect? Far from it. Can we improve it? No doubt about it. But compared to systems in the rest of the world, I, I just like the sort of constitutional monarchy we have, the parliamentary system, and the the impact that's had on making Canada really. Uh, the envy for so many other people from different countries that flock here on a regular basis. And Mark, that's the point I made earlier on, which our system, as Tim says, has its imperfections, but it works maybe among the best in the world in the context of basic constitutional stability. And yes, it has some odd features to it, such as a king who sits on a throne thousands of miles from here, not even in this country, but the system seems to work. I think so. I mean, we've got, you know, increasingly tendency towards um monarchical prime ministers in my lifetime. Everyone seems to be more king-like than last. And, uh, you know, not to mention the governor generals that they get appointed, um, you know, at least certainly by the liberals anyway. It just seemed, I, I mean, would you really want to be pledged or allegiance to any of those guys? I mean, seriously, I I think I'll, I'll stick with Charles. I might revisit this issue when we get down to William. I'm not such a fan of that guy. He seems like a, just a rich English guy. Well, I haven't heard anybody criticize him. He's a child, Mark, for goodness sake. But we'll get, as you say, we'll get to that later if we're all still here. Uh, I want to just talk about the economy for a minute. I had uh, Mike Moffat on from the Smart Prosperity Institute, and he said that he's generally bullish about Canada, still representing a great opportunity, etc. But then he said, "Look, we, we, we are sometimes our worst, uh, our own worst enemies." And he cited, in particular, both the risk aversion of the private sector, Tim, but also what he called a vetocracy that existed in government, where governments, you know, kind of want to say no to everything or just not make a decision. He talked about overlapping government uh, and just an inability to get things done as being things that could inhibit the degree of opportunity we still have in Canada. Yeah, it was a great interview you had with uh, with Mike Moffat a while ago. It's funny, you know, when I was um, uh, running to be premier of the province leader of the Ontario PC Party, Mike Moffat was uh, was a, a critic. And it's, he, as you know, John, you get thick skin, you got to look past those things, can't take it personally. Um, but I, I really respect the work he does. He's done outstanding work uh, on the housing file, getting more homes built people can afford. And I think he's got some smart, big picture looks here. I, I would decry this. I know you did as, as mayor, leader of the Ontario PC Party yourself, the, the vitocracy or veto. <laughs> we pronounce that word. The, the, yeah. the how difficult it is to get something done, whether that's a subway station, a road, or getting homes built. The multiple layers of approval, the overlap between municipal, provincial, federal governments, conservation authorities, and such. We have an incredible capacity to grind everything to a halt and make it more expensive. This is wise advice from Moffat for all levels of government as we start 2024. Now, Mark, sometimes you can uh, side with the bad news bears. I, I hear you talk often. Do you think this guy <laughs> is warranted in his optimism? Because he starts the article by saying, look, we're in great shape. We're the envy of the world compared to many, notwithstanding our problems. However, we have this problem of paralysis and lack of decision-making and lack of getting things done. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I read that, uh, that that thread and I thought it was really, really good. And I sort of actually responded to Mike online about it. 
thinking that we would agree <laughs> on one of the points about Canadian culture. And he actually disagreed with me uh, uh, on his thread and it surprised me. And so we would, I took it offline and we went back and forth a bit. Um, the argument was really over. I, I was sort of saying, I think part, part of what I've noticed you know, from my time in the Ontario government and my time since I've left the Ontario government is, is sort of the, I think a lot of our businesses are quite used to getting subsidies and loans from the government. And I think that also affects culture. There's not so much a risk of failure when you give pe people money, in my experience, uh, you know, for this auto loans or auto parts manufacturers, uh, none of them actually think any of the public politicians will actually ever hold them to it if they don't meet the conditions, in my experience. And secondly, when you do grant, uh, you know, venture capital type things, the Canadian businesses always tend to approach it as if they're doing a government grant application. So I thought Mike would agree with me on those things. He didn't. So I'm probably a bit more negative than he is when it comes to culture. I really couldn't figure out. He'd sort of identified culture as a problem and then it sort of disagreed with me. He sort of said uh, we thought the Americans had the same problem. So but a great thread. I think everybody should read it. I think he said a lot they of They should. I think you're right, by the way. I think he's right in saying that we're very risk averse in corporate Canada. It's just in our DNA. Canadians are very cautious. But I think as well you're right that uh, everybody approaches everything as if it's some kind of a government application. But at least something to talk about another day. Mark Warner, uh, international trade lawyer, and Tim Hudak, president of the Ontario Real Estate Association and past leader of the Ontario PCs. Thanks very much for joining us on the roundtable today. Have a great day. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 7.45, round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.